we have a treasure among us, and she and her husband actually moved here to be missionaries to America, and we're so thankful that they did because they're family to us. Their influence has grown significantly in the last few years. She embodies a message of hope, and she has this wonderful gift to translate, not just from Spanish to English and vice versa, but the realities of heaven into our hearts. She is a wife, a mother, a spiritual mother, a financier, a problem solver, an evangelist, a prophet, a mighty woman of God. Will you stand with me and welcome Yadira Castanon? Good afternoon. Thank you, Patty. It's an honor and a privilege to be here this morning, and I want to thank Charles Ann and the leadership here who allowed me to be here this morning or this afternoon. I want to start declaring this over your lives. You have contended, you have endured, but you overcame. You have contended. You have endured, but you overcame. We overcame by the blood of the land and the word of his testimony. Amen. Amen. And I believe we are entering a new season where the children of God will rise up as the light of the world, at the salt of the earth. And God is calling each and every one of us to stand in righteousness and truth because we have been called and formed for this time and this hour. Every one of us, each one of our lives are precious in the hand of God. And if you are here and if you are alive, it's because God has a plan for you for this time because there is a future for your life. And God is not going to waste anything that he has placed in you. Amen. And as we enter in a new season where, God, where, where we will see God moving in our midst as never before, I want to remind you today that you have been called, separated by God to walk in righteousness and truth. That your life matters to God. That you play an integral part in, in an integral role in what God is doing in the earth during this time and this season and in the nation. Amen. And sometimes we look at the big spectrum of life and we see what can my life, what can I contribute in this great mission of God. If God is everywhere, he created the earth, he Save his people from slavery. He rose up great fathers and mothers of faith. He gave Jesus, what can I do? Does my life count in what God is doing? And I want to tell you this morning that your life counts. That your life is significant for what God is doing in your family, in your neighborhoods, in your community, and this nation, and the world. Sometimes we stand in awe of what God does, and we get impressed. So we're so impressed for what he's doing, and we see ourselves in an unimpressive lives, our ordinary lives, and we say, what role could, do I play? My ordinary life has nothing to contribute in what God is doing and we just disqualify ourselves. But 
Because we are not like Moses, we are not like Deborah, we are not like Esther, we are not like any of those who had that great call of God or there in the Bible or now. We're just regular folks doing and living our daily lives. But this morning, I want to invite you to go with me. And as we turn on the pages of the scriptures and we come upon small stories of common people living their lives, but whose actions changed the course of their lives and created a legacy for their nation. And I believe in each of those stories, when God spoke to me about this message, your name was written in the story. So I want you to comment and, and be part of what we're going to read today. And not just read the story, but see yourselves in the stories. And I, at the end of each story, I'm going to say it this time. I'm going to bless you because I can see each one of you. God is speaking to your hearts. So receive the blessing that God is imparting for you today. So in our first story starts in Exodus 1, chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15, chapter 1, verse 15. People that stood in righteousness and truth with right standing before God and the truth. And these are the promises that we have. That we have right standing before God and that we have the truth that is in Jesus. That we are his children. That we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. And you have been equipped for this time and this season. But let's see these people who were just living their lives Ordinary lives like you and me. And the first one, we'll see their lives, and they are marked by, by two characteristics, honor and courage. Exodus 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is boy, Kill him, but if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And if we jump until verse 21 says, And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. We see here, we find two women who are about their lives and their own business. It says that they were midwives. There was their form of living and they were doing what they were supposed to do, helping other women deliver their children. But all of a sudden, they find themselves in this hostile situation where the king of Egypt, worried and fearing and threatened by the fruitful and the multiplication of the Hebrew people, decided... They are, I'm going to just stop them because then if not, they are going to overtake us. So he gave an order to the midwives to kill every boy that is being born. However, this woman decided in their heart that they were not going to do what the man was telling them, but they were going to honor God. And because of their decision, God gave them families of their own, says the Bible. And, and sometimes we read these stories and we just 
flip them over very quickly, but we do not realize with the feelings and, and the struggle of the moment. And I believe these women were like, oh, my God, what do we do? On another, and one, on one hand, the king is telling us to kill these children. And if we don't do this, what is going to happen to us? But in the middle of the struggle, they decided that they better fear God and not men. And they become so courageous. They rose, rose up in courage to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord rather than the eyes of men. And because of that, because God will not oversee, he will not take oversight of the things that you do. He will not, okay, that was good. Good job. No, because they did what was right before of the Lord, because they fear him and honor him. He says that they, he gave them children of their own. They said that these women had this position of midwives because they were not able to have children. So because of their honoring and their courage, it opened the door for them to receive a miracle, to receive a restoration. They have a determination that they were going to do what was right, no matter the consequences. So this morning, I want to bless you. And if you see yourself in the story, I bless the shirvas and the puas of the season. We bless those courageous ones, those who do not bow down to fear, who do not bow down to the culture of this day, those who do not compromise their faith and values coming from the word of God, but stand firm in the fear of the Lord. We bless them this morning, those who have been raised up in this hour to stand up in courage, in determination, radical kindness, honoring God and to uphold what is right before the Lord and release life in their lives, in their families and the nations and the world. We thank you, Father, for you are bringing restoration to their lives and everything that the enemy stole from them, you will restore them in this hour. In Jesus' name. Our second story is a story of wisdom and humility. And we will find it in Numbers chapter 27, verse 3 to 11. And this story is, is about the doors of Zelophehad. And Zelophehad, it was a man who was with Moses in the desert. They had been in the desert for 40 years. And Many of those men die in the desert, and he had five children, and when we, five girls, and when we start, we find in the story is that they are about to enter into the promised land, and Moses is ready. He had just had taken a census, and he was ready to give up the land, and the rule of that day was, the land that, was that the land was passed from the fathers to the sons. No girls. No daughters. However, these women came and we'll read the story. They came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders of the whole assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan? Because he has no son. 
give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what the Salafahad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. Say they... To the Israelites, if, I, if a man dies and leaves no son, gives his inheritance to his daughters. Wow, what a story of boldness and wisdom and humility. What really impressed in my heart about these five daughters is that they walk full aware of the heritage of their spiritual heritage of their father. They said, I say, our father was a righteous man, and because of that, it's not right that his name will disappear. And not only that, these women were not just complaining and just uh, gossiping or just making a fuss about it. They were knowledgeable of the law and they knew, okay, this is what the law says. This is what my the heritage of my father is. And we stand on that. And because of that, I think we can tangle and do something and, and cause change and transformation to this law. And with that understanding, they were bold enough, and I can just feel, you know how nervous you are when you go to the principal office? So you go to Moses, to the principal office, and you're so nervous because it's Moses. However, they come and tell their case. They present their cases. My father was a righteous man. It's not right that he lose, he lose his name and give us land. Easy. And they came, Moses, he says, okay, let me present your case before God. And what God's response is the best response ever. Because he said, what the Salafahad daughters are saying is right. Don't you think God knew already that what they were saying was right? But sometimes God is waiting for us to stand into what God has placed in our hearts, in the heritage of our fathers or forefathers and to bring about change and transformation and reformation to the things around us. Amen. So these five girls stood up in fullness, in wisdom and humility, and they became the first reformers of the Bible. So this afternoon... We bless those who walk in wisdom and humility, standing on the heritage laid by their predecessors in righteousness as children of God. Those who are bold enough to appear in front of the court of heaven and bring their petitions that will bring about transformation and reformation into the world. We tap into the promises that have been spoken in this house that even laws will be changed for what, what comes from this house. So we bless the bull ones, those who dare to believe that God is greater and above any system, any law, and whatever circumstance, we, be, we bless them with wisdom, humility, boldness, and power in the name of Jesus. Our third story it's a story of forgiveness and compassion. And it's a story that sometimes we just read it and just pass.
pass it so very quickly, you do not realize the power of, of uh, an insignificant person can change a nation. And we find it at 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Aram, he was a great man in the sight of his master and slightly regarded. Because through him the Lord has given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Here is where, where our story begins. Now bands of raiders from Iran had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master will see the prophet who is in Samaria, he will cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said by all means, go. So we find ourselves here in a story of a young woman who had been taken captive, had been kidnapped and taken to a foreign land. She had found herself in a strange land with no parents, nothing that she knew, nor, nor family, nor her house. And not only that, she was living with people that she didn't know. And not just that, but she, now she was a slave. And she had all the right to be mad, to be really, these people is doing wrong to me. And I'm going to take vengeance of them and do what, all those kinds of things when, when you feel that something had grown, someone has grown you. However, she didn't dwell in that feeling. She didn't dwell in that lack of forgiveness. But she extended compassion when she saw the situation of this commander that he had leprosy. He extended compassion to his life and he said, and not just only compassion, but a forgiveness. And she told him a solution for her problem. And what is more um, astounding of this uh, story is that not only her actions unfold a series of events that cause a transformation of a person who then was healed, he was saved, he converted, he believed that God was the Almighty, but not only that, but what she did led to national reconciliation. A simple act of not holding to back to offense, but releasing forgiveness and compassion to those who had done something wrong against her. The story begins when she was raided and she was taken captive, but it ends in 2 Kings 6.23 when it says, the king prepared, and this is talking about the king of Israel, prepare a great feast for them, talking about the, uh, the, the troops of the Syrian people. They ate and drank, and then he sent them back to his master. After this, Aramean troops didn't raid Israel territory anymore. Hallelujah. A simple action of forgiveness and compassion released reconciliation for a nation. And I believe that in this time and in this season is no 
coincidence that it was, it was a young woman. God is raising young people, young men and women who are not going to uphold to lack of forgiveness, who are not going to uphold to what has been doing grown in our generation, but they are going to bring about and release compassion and forgiveness that will bring unity to this nation. We're going to see the United States reconciling the people coming together because what God is doing in this generation. So this morning, we bless those who have gone through really difficult situations where they have been wronged, misunderstood, and hurt. But in the middle of those circumstances, they have decided to extend forgiveness and walk in compassion and love. We bless the peacemakers in our midst. We bless those who God is rising at this hour. We bless them with power, we bless them with love, we bless them with forgiveness, we bless those ones who do not have unto offense, but walk in the path of forgiveness and compassion. And we declare this morning that they will be the ones who will lead this nation in a path of reconciliation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our, third, our next story is a story of power and authority. And we find this story in 2 Kings 22, verses 13 to 14. And the back story is that Josiah was king and he was doing what was right before the eyes of the Lord. And he started a reformation in, in the temple when he started reconstructing and rebuilding the temple. And he was, and while they were doing that, they found the, in the rubbish they found the book of the covenant. So you can imagine all the other kings, they have forgotten about the word of God, but they found it. So the scribe finds the, find the book of the law and he brings it to the priest and the priest brings it to the, to the king and they read it to him. And then he's like, oh my God, we're doomed. We have done everything that is against the book of the law. And what do we do now? And even though there was a priest and there was a scribe, they didn't know what to do. And you know when you're in a time of crisis, what do you do? You call a woman. So they go and said, okay, we don't know what to do. Let's go inquire what the Lord is going to do. And what do we have to do about this book? And they go and find this woman called Huldah. And they go, it says that Kulda was the wife of Shalom, son of Tika, son of Harkas, keeper of the wardrobe. And she lived in Jerusalem in the new quarters. So this woman lived a retired, quiet life. She had a life, I believe it was hidden. However, even though her life was hidden, men of God were conscious that the Lord was with her, that God spoke to her and through her and that she understood him. She lived a retired life, but a life of power that was evident to all who were around her. She walked in a power that was not her own, but it was evident that she lived in constant intimacy with God. She knew his heart. And that's why they went to look for her and for her counsel. So she spoke not with personal authority, but she spoke with 
power and authority that came out of that place of intimacy with God. So she knew God, and when they said, what do we do? So she tells them, you know, this is all the bad things that are going to happen, but because the, but because the king repented, because he tore his robe, and the Lord is going to have mercy. But I, one of the things that I really like about this story is that she was very unapologetic when she was telling. She knew what she was talking from, and she's like, tell the man who sent you. He's not even addressing the king. She's like, tell the man who sent you. This is what's going to happen. Because she knew that what she was speaking, it was life coming from the God of power and love and mercy. And that she was not trying to impress any man in what she was saying. But what I love about her is the holder was simply a messenger. Nothing more is told about her in the Bible. She gave her message and retired from the scene. But she left a mark upon her generation. She became the tipping point that brought about revival to a nation. Because after she sent the message, after she said what she needed to say, it says the king took her words and he called the elders and the priests and the prophets. And he told them, like, okay, we need to, and he told them, we are going to abide to the words that are written in this book. And revival broke out in the nation. They come towards God and they repented. How many holders are in this place that are the revivalists of the season? So we bless the holders among us, those who have been hidden. We speak that this is their time to walk in the fulfillment of the promises of God for their lives. We bless them as they are willing to be used and set aside for him. We bless those who are willing to be nothing and nobody into people's eyes, but God's messengers to release his power and authority on the earth, whose very lives transform those around them. We bless the revivalists in our midst. Amen. Our next sto story is a story of selflessness and generosity. And we find this story in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 and 22. And the back story here is this woman had followed her husband to a foreign land. And it come at this point in the story, she had lost her husband. She has lost her children. And she is taking one girl with her whom she didn't want to take with her at the beginning to begin with. But she got stuck with her because she was... Ruth was like very determined, I'll go with you, I'll go with you. And the other one said like, just go back to your parents. And I think that what she was saying at this point is like, I can barely take care of myself. I cannot be responsible for other person. Because then we find her here when she comes to her own town. She goes back to her own town and the women call her and said, oh, that's Naomi. And she responds, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So we find this woman at her lowest point in her life. And she said, don't call me 
Naomi, whose name means blessing, call me Mara, unbitter. And she was fighting with God. He said, he is responsible for what I'm going through. And not only that, she said, now I am empty. I have nothing to give. That's what she said. I'm empty. I'm coming back to my town empty. However, in her emptiness, in the lowest moment in her life, she decides to stretch herself and takes on under her wing another woman, Ruth. And not only she takes her in, but sacrificially and without manipulation and control or desire to control her, she decides to mentor her. So I bless the mentors in this house. Because she, it comes to a point where it says, I need to find a home for you. It was a, a genuine desire to see the other person flourish, even though my life is not complete. And because of her selflessness and her generosity to pour out on another person and see them greater than herself, God redeemed her. We find at the end of, of Ruth in chapter 4, verses 4, 16, is Ruth gets get married to Boaz. So we know the story. And she had a child. And the women who welcomed her and said, you're Naomi. And she said, no, I'm Mara. Call me Peter. The, they are talking to her again. And she said, the woman said to Naomi, praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous through Israel. And we know that she became the great-great-grandmother of King David. That's what we know. When we give ourselves to generosity, it opens the door for God to redeem us. So I pray today that as you find yourself at your lowest point, that God is going to encounter you and that God is going to meet you and God is going to redeem everything that had been lost in your life. So we bless this morning the Naomi's, those who have found themselves at their lowest point in their lives, whose circumstances have left them empty, but in the middle of this desperation have stretched themselves to care for others. We declare this morning that their time is now, that the Lord will redeem everything the enemy has taken from them, and that they will see God move to their favor in the name of Jesus. And I have another woman, and this is not a specific woman, but this is the, I call her the Isaiah 54 woman. And if we read Isaiah 54, it says, shout for, shout for joy, O barren, one who has not given birth. Give a joyful shout and cry out, you have not you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one are more numerous than the children of the married one, says the Lord. So I believe that the women of Isaiah 54 are those women who a story of joy and hope. Because in their barrenness, God is telling them, rejoice, sing for joy. 
and have hope because what your situation seems dark and nothing and dead, God, I am going to flip it around. Because more are the children, more numerous are the children of the barren, of the desolated woman than of the married woman. So I pray today, don't be afraid. For you will not be put to shame. You will not be intimidated. You will not be humiliated. Because God will not forget you. And you will forget your shame and your experience in your youth. You will no longer remember your disgrace and your abandonment because God is with you. I bless you today. Those who feel empty, those who feel dead, those who feel barren and abandoned. Because I'm telling you, everything you do, you do counts. Your life counts. Whatever you do counts and God will always remember you. And briefly, I want to tell you a story. And maybe if you can put the picture. This is a story of a, a woman. Her name is Irina Slender. And she lived through World War II. She was a Catholic nurse and she became a social worker. And in her ordinary life, she started going in Warsaw. She, they built the ghetto and they put the youth in the ghetto. So she was, because of her credentials, she started going there and she saw the need. So she started rescuing children. It says that in her lifetime or in, during the war, she, they rescued more or over 2,500 children. Just herself, 400 children. In 1943, she was arrested and she was going to be executed. But they were able to brave the, um, the police and they were able to rescue. And she continued saving children. They, they would put the children in coffins, in potato sacks, in ambulance, whatever. But what she did was she would write the name of the children and their identities and everything with the hopes that when the war was over, she was going to be able to retrieve the kids to their families. And during the war, they would place them in orphanages, convents, and other family, non-Jewish families. But what is interesting, when I read the story a few years ago, it really impacted my heart. The fact that her story become, after the war, her story become, became forgotten. Nobody remember. There were others that we can see in stories and books about those heroes during, the, during World War II. But hers, it was... There was nothing about her. Her life was forgotten. However, look how God it is. In 1999, some girls in high school in Kansas City started working in a school project. And they came across with the name of Irina Sendler. And they thought they came across with this statement that she was about to be executed in 1943. So they started to looking for all the registries and everything about to find her story and where she has she buried. But they found out that she was not buried, that she was alive. And because of her story, this woman was recognized 60 years after her efforts began in 1999 of the labor of her work. How good God is. 
that even if the rule had forgotten about her, God will remember her. She died in 2008. But one of the things that really impressed my heart, I said, I'm not a hero. I did what anyone else would have done. If you see a man that, is a, that falls in a river, you jump, even though if you don't know how to swim. These are your lives. God will remember. God knows you. He formed you in the womb of your mother. And before you were born, he set you apart. He sees you. The eyes of the Lord are open the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry, says Psalms 34, 15. And he remembers you. Hebrews 6, 10 says, For God, the faithful one, is not unfair. How can he forget the beautiful work you have done for him? He remembers the love you demonstrate as you continually serve his beloved ones for the glory of his name. How you are living your life, how, what you are doing in this time is building a legacy for the future generations. Your life counts and God will remember. Even if we do not have a story like Irina Slender that God sent someone from the other part of the world to unfold your story. Your generations will remember, this nation will remember that this generation that was living in 2021 lived for God and by God in righteousness and truth. So please stand. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the life you have given us. Thank you, God, for we are alive today. And thank you, God, for the many stories that are rising in this place. I bless them today. I bless them with your blessing that you know them, that you see them, and that you remember them in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, thank you. So we just bless all the, all you amazing people, everyone online. God is faithful. He hasn't forgotten any cup of cold water you've ever given. So I just want to bless you and release you. I know many have plans. If you need prayer, the altar's always open. May the love of God the Father fill your heart. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ empower you and set you free. And the communion of the Holy Spirit guide you, protect you, and release miracles as you carry his name into the world for his name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.